You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Since the civil rights era, former Confederate states and states outside the former Confederacy have had very different trajectories in terms of the amount of money that white people make compared to the amount of money that black people make. In one region, those wage gaps have gotten worse. They have increased significantly. But in the other region, non-white wage earners have actually made some small gains compared to their white counterparts. But what's surprising might be to hear that it's the former Confederate states that fall into the latter category. In other words, in the former states of the Confederacy, the wage gap is actually narrowing. And it's everywhere else in the country where wage gaps are getting worse. Those are the findings of a recent report by Michigan State University economists Charles Ballard and John Gadiris. And joining us now to talk about that work is Charles Ballard. He is a professor of economics at Michigan State University and, and a co-author of this study. Charles Ballard, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So what were you looking at or what were you looking for when you started looking into this data? And tell us how surprised you were to find what you did. Well, I had done some um, related research uh, some years ago that, that showed a big uh, gap between North and South in the in the trajectory of household income inequality. And that made me uh, wonder whether there was going to be a north-south gap uh, in in how uh, the black-white earnings gap had changed over time, and and indeed that's that's what we found. Uh, the the good news, I suppose, if there is good news in this study, is that 40 years ago, black workers in Michigan made more than black workers anywhere else in the world. Mm. Um, but and they made way more than black workers in Alabama and Mississippi. Um, but since then, um, uh, and I'm a native Texan, and I'm not com- claiming that the South is some sort of paradise, but since then, the, the really severe restrictions of Jim Crow mm. have been reduced somewhat in the South, and, and black workers have been able to make some gains there. But in the rest of the country, um, and, and more so in the Great Lakes region than anywhere else, Black workers have lost ground relative to white workers um, for for a variety of reasons, and that's especially true in in Michigan. So that, for instance, um, forty years ago, black women in Michigan earned fifteen percent more mm. than white women in Michigan. Now they earn about fifteen percent less. Mm. And I think a lot of people might hear that and think of the decline of union wages, the decline of the number of union jobs that exist in Michigan, that, 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 uh, that high wage that you were talking about that, that for black workers in Michigan being much higher than they were for people in states like Alabama were about the auto industry and manufacturing and the union influence there. Is that, is that a simple or too simple an explanation for what we're seeing? That that certainly is a part of it. Um, uh, interestingly, though, we don't find that that's the main story. I think that the, the the prevalence of union manufacturing jobs is why black workers were doing so well in Michigan 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. But 
the the decline of manufacturing, of course, has hurt white workers in Michigan, too. And so uh, that's only part of the story. The the other part of the story is what kinds of things replaced that manufacturing. And what we find is, you know, in the last generation or two, there's been a vast increase in the payoff to more to having more education. And the highly paid occupations have really pulled away from the lower paid occupations. And so educational attainment and occupational segregation are the influences that we find to be very important in terms of uh, explaining this. In other words, black uh, Americans uh, have increased their educational attainment, but they've never fully caught up with white Americans. And... um, it makes more of a difference now than it did in 1975 because the payoff to an additional year of education has gone way up. Um, and the other thing is that even if you control for education, even if you look at a black worker and a white worker who have exactly the same number of years of schooling, that payoff appears to be higher for the white worker, perhaps due to differences in the quality of the education. Moreover, Again, if you just look at two workers who are otherwise the same, the white worker is much more likely to be in a highly paid occupation, Hmm. which probably has to do with the legacies of discrimination and segregation. Uh, And when we think about this, um, talk about what what we're supposed to draw from it. Talk about the things that that we're supposed to, to think about how we narrow this gap. As you point yeah. out, it's not that it's not just that there's a difference by region. It's still that there is such a difference overall. We have this this you know inequality that exists in this country between black workers and white ones. Absolutely. Um, well, of course, uh, a, a good starting point would be uh, uh, aggressive uh, enforcement of our anti-discrimination laws. Mm. But um, beyond that, I think there are a lot of prescriptions that I would uh, have. Um, Education is at the top of the list. Um, We we just have failed to provide the same educational opportunities for black children that uh, a lot of white children have. Um, And, uh, you know, um, if we start today to try to address those disparities, it'll be years before they show up uh, in, in terms of equalizing wages, but that's something that we have to do. It, beyond that, it, it, going a little bit farther back, you, look, you go back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, black workers all over the country actually caught up to white workers a whole lot during that period. Well, that was a time when overall wage inequality was much smaller than it is now. Hmm. And so the period of wide, a widening racial disparity Cohen's in the last 40 years coincides with a period of widening overall disparity between high wage workers and low wage workers. So in my view, anything that helps to reduce overall equality, inequality will help black workers relatively more because they're, they tend to be in, in the lower ranges of the, uh, of the wage distribution, uh, higher minimum wage, earned income tax credit, stronger labor unions, all, all of those things would be likely 
to help a lot of, of low-wage white workers, but they would probably help black workers even more, and that would help to address the racial disparity. Hmm. I'm talking with Charles Ballard, a professor of economics at Michigan State University, whose recent studies showed some interesting and surprising gains and losses in racial wage gaps in the North and in former Confederate states from 1976 to 2017. We're talking about the racial wage gap and what might be done to narrow it nationwide, not just in the states outside the Confederacy, which are seeing that gap uh, increase in ways that it is not uh, in the South. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us if you're surprised to hear that African-Americans have had a little better uh, time of it uh, to close the wage gap in former Confederate states than they have in the rest of the country. Uh, what do you think needs to be happening that would address this disparity? And a bigger question we'll be asking a couple times throughout this week, what do you think needs to happen to make the economy work better for low and middle class Americans? That's a subject we're going to talk about quite a bit uh, this week. As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, we especially want to hear from folks uh, who are in jobs that where you feel like the wages don't have the opportunity to grow. Uh, in order for you to get to a better economic station in life. Give us a call and tell us what that experience is like and tell us what things would make things different for you. Uh, what would allow you to earn a higher wage? What would make your life better uh, from an economic perspective at this point? Again, 313-577-1019, as always, is the number on the phones. Uh, uh, Charlie, I want to talk about what happens for people who find themselves in low-wage jobs. Uh, you were talking earlier about education being one of the key levers to pull here to change the fortunes for people in terms of their wages. That doesn't always necessarily uh, make itself available for people who are already in the workforce, and especially if they're older in the workforce, uh, education may be something in the past. So what do you do about people who are in low-wage jobs and not able to figure out ways to, to get to better, to, to better paying work? Well, um, it, you're right that if you're, if you're 58 years old, uh, you're probably not going to go back to college and train to be a computer systems analyst. Um, so we have to look at a variety of things. Uh, um, one, and, and I would say that uh, an awful lot of them have to do with reversing the policy trend since 1980, which the policy trend in America before 1980 was one of helping the ordinary worker. And since 1980, it's been one of helping the CEO. Um, and, uh, um, I think that part of it is uh, has to do with more progressive tax system. We've made our tax system much less progressive than it used to be. Part of it would be raising the minimum wage. Now, of course, economists warn that you don't want to, you can't raise the minimum wage to fifty dollars an hour, fifty, not fifteen. Um, 
but a, a modest wage increase would probably help a lot of those workers and not lead to many uh, much dislocation. Um, we in Michigan, we cut back on our earned income tax credit in 2011. I would reverse that. I'd go back to what it was before we cut it back. Um, uh, I think that labor unions, which have been on the ropes for, for years, they have a role. And beyond that, I, I think that it, there's a whole culture. After all, wages are, are, are set in a social and political context. They're not, you know, I in my class, I can draw a supply and demand diagram and find the place where the two lines cross. But there's a lot going on. And if, if employers felt pressure to pay more mm. to their low-wage workers uh, through um, social condemnation of, of low wages, uh, that might have an effect. So it's, it's a broader cultural and political thing. It's not just the narrowly defined economic policies. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Charles, before we get to to um, uh, to listeners, uh, I, I want to give you a chance to talk a little about sort of the current context uh, of, of this conversation, the, the pandemic, the election that's coming up. Uh, these things are not being discussed quite in the way that that I would expect them to. But but how should we be thinking of them in the context of something that makes the economy worse, like COVID nineteen, and the election, which is I think something we think of as an opportunity to make things better, depending on uh, which side you come down on in terms of who should be the president. Well, um, as you mentioned, the study that I've done with my colleague, John Gadiris, uh, we have data through 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and we show that uh, black workers in Michigan have actually lost a lot of ground through then. Well, of course, there's plenty of evidence that the COVID epidemic has had worse effects on low-wage, on women, and on minority workers than on others. And so when the data eventually become available for 2020, I think they would show a, a furthering of that negative trend. Um, and and I, it's a remarkable uh, um, juxtaposition that you have COVID and you have George Floyd. Hmm. I think the, uh, 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 the murder of George Floyd back in, about three months ago really um, showed a lot of Americans something that maybe they hadn't been willing and able to see clearly before, and that is the very uh, disparate treatment that black men in particular receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that these phenomena, these things will galvanize our public to do something whether they will is that i think we'll know a lot about that on on november 3rd i think it's clear for, partly from the nomination of kamala harris that um uh, vice president biden is interested i think in in doing some things to address racial disparity um 
it seems to me, um, you can disagree with me if you think so, but it seems to me that President Trump and Tucker Carlson um, uh, would are not going for trying to dis, uh, address those disparities. <laughs> right. I don't think that's really on their minds. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the phones here. Nicole in Detroit, you're up next. Welcome to the show. Hi. Did you Hi. see Nicole? Yep. Uh-huh. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, um, I'm a Detroit t- uh, teacher and wanted to speak about the disparity we have in education first in general, we're far underpaid for our education level compared to other careers. And then if you look at Detroit compared to the region, we're about 20% behind Uh and no coincidence, Detroit, you know, teachers are mostly women. So we have a gender gap and then we have a race gap. Um, Detroit, it's mostly black women who Mm -hmm. are teachers. Mm -hmm. I have family who are teachers in the suburbs and small down river, mainly working class suburbs, not Birmingham or Bloomfield. And they top out at in the 90s, Mm. 90,000 range, while in Detroit, the highest I can achieve is 73,000. And we're not accepting that the the funds aren't there, you know, that Detroit has a lower tax rate. We do have, you know, lower residential tax rate, but all of the revenue downtown, all of the money that could be going into our schools, we are going to fight to get that. Mm. And we do need to rebuild the labor movement to win that because the money is there. In so, fact, they took some of our money from our schools for the stadium and we have to let things like that. We can't let things like that continue to happen. So, so Nicole, also um, we were talking with Nikolai Vidi, the superintendent recently. He says that they're trying to make the starting pay at least for teachers in the, in the district the highest in in the region. Now I know that 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 doesn't necessarily mean that in the longer in the longer term that that it would be that high or equal. But I wonder what you make of of that idea and whether you're benefiting now at all from some of the things that he's. I'm not in the students' art, and that's really a bait and switch to attract young, inexperienced teachers to Detroit and have a constant turnover hmm. of. Because it doesn't because it doesn't affect because the senior wages is what you're saying. In it other doesn't, words, yeah. and it also provides no opportunity for growth. What they're saying is those teachers come in at that rate, but they won't continue to increase on the traditional pay scale. I see. That, and I see. this is this is another one of the racist laws coming from Lansing that only applies to Detroit, the only community district in the state mm-hmm. that going forward, pay has to be based on merit, meaning student achievement, meaning test scores, Mm. which is completely wrong, completely racist. We Mm. have to fight that. Mm. Nicole, I really appreciate the call uh, and the perspective. Uh, I really appreciate you being part of the show here. Okay, Charles Ballard, professor of economics at Michigan State University and author of this recent study. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Okay, that is going to do it for us today, and I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about what's happening with the U.S. Postal Service and why it matters, especially in the context of the election that we have coming up in just a few months. Plus, we're going to have a conversation about this term that we're hearing all the time, herd immunity. What is that and what it is not? We'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.